Hi, and welcome to the Religion and Story podcast with your hosts, Stephen, Daniel, and Michael Crouch. So today we want to talk about Christians and politics, and there's clearly a lot of different things that people can believe on this subject, a lot of different places that people can come down on this. We see this best in our two-party system in America and the United States of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party and then a host of other parties beyond that. And in that, we see uh, differences of ideals on how Christians should be participating in politics. And there's even more beyond that in the history of Christianity. So, uh, Michael, can you explain to us uh, just a little bit about the history of Christians and religious people's involvement in politics? Sure. Uh, So I I think it's appropriate when talking about uh, God's people and politics to go all the way back uh, to almost the beginning. Really, when uh, the Israelites were coming out of Egypt and God was establishing them as a new nation, we had the first people of God whose government was led by God. And that was the way that it was meant to be. And God would use his leaders, his prophets, his judges to rule uh, on his behalf and to carry out his judgment. And that first, that famous first time when the people wanted a king and 1 Samuel chapter 8 when Samuel warns them about uh, the evils that will come from a human king rather than having God as king. Well, uh, we we know how that turns out for Israel and Judah that they uh, are never able to maintain their their kingdom while maintaining that relationship with God. Fast forward to Jesus and his encounters with government, said that his kingdom was not of this world, but at the same time knew that his people had to be in the world, you know, paying taxes and dealing with the authorities, but didn't see his power coming from there. And for about the first 300 years of Christianity, Christians were, were the minority. They were not a, powerful, a worldly powerful people. But as their numbers continued to grow and grow, the Roman Empire took in Christianity as its state religion and made Christianity a political force. And it stayed that way through the Catholic Church, through whatever governments were in power at the time, and had a very solid line of power up through the Reformation. John Calvin was perhaps the one who best thought of how Protestants Uh, very early on would think about Christians and religion as he saw the church as a a local governing system, telling people how to live, really living in community with each other. But kind of separating out to a more national view of things, we see Christians such as William Wilberforce leading the abolitionist fight against slavery, uh, very much from a Christian perspective. We see Martin Luther King leading the civil rights movement very much from a Christian perspective. But on the other hand, we also see, and especially within Churches of Christ, some of our early leaders, such as David Lipscomb, James A. Harding, who are very much against Christian involvement in government, similar to Quakers and Mennonites and those who see our power as not of this world and not to be influenced by the government powers that rule our nation. So today, probably the last 70, 80 years, Christians have very much been involved in politics. So we've seen a cultural shift in the way that Christians are involved in politics today. 
thanks for that, Michael, for that that history of how Christians have have participated in government. And clearly, there's a range of ways that they have done this, uh, a huge spectrum of ways that they have participated. And there's always been different Christian groups participating in different ways. Regarding our own fellowship, we see at the earliest stages of the the Restoration Movement, the Churches of Christ, and people like David Lipscomb, uh, this anti-participatory attitude of not participating in government at all. And then today we see people who are trying to be as involved as possible to participate as much as possible and have as big a say as possible. So how do we, uh, how do we reconcile those two things? Or uh, is one way better than the other? Well, uh, there's a few things that concern me about the isolationist movement that was very popular in the uh, beginning of the 20th century and even before then. So during those times, uh, especially during the 19th century when the slavery was a, a hot topic issue to say the least, um, but black rights, slavery, things like that, people are taking an, an isolationist approach where they're not voting for whatever the reason might be. And it's even in a Christ-centered government, yet they're not doing anything when they know that they have power to change things that are not uh, how Christians should behave. Um, we might, I'm pretty sure we all agree that the mistreatment of uh, minority groups has been uh, something that has been a dark shadow uh, cast over the past of uh, American history. Um, but let's take that into consideration and then look at our present day, where we do live in a country that was founded on religious freedom by people who were Christians, but not necessarily... Uh, you, I don't want to put words in our founding fathers' mouths, but what was their intentions to have religious freedom for only Christians? I don't think so. They wanted to say they were. They meant to say right. that if you want to practice your religion, you should be able to do it in this country. Now we are at a time where we are having trouble coexisting with other religions because there's a conflict of interest, especially what the right-wing uh, conservatives will say is that. Um, radical Muslims are a threat to what they say is the number one right for humans, which is right to life. Um, and so, yeah, I would definitely agree that if uh, somebody is endangering your right, there's enough biblical support there that you should be able to defend yourself and uh, against that. And if uh, there is a religion out there that is uh, being harmful or against God, uh, whether they are God believers or not, then that is something that um, whether you want to take an isolationist approach or just turn the other cheek type of approach, we can all agree that it is something to be standing against. Um, whether you take a physical approach to resist it or a governmental approach to exist it. So you can see. So you're telling me that you can see either way working. Is that? Am I reading you correctly? You you can see either either way working with it, but um, uh, we 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 could probably take a look at the Amish or the Quaker religious groups and take, for example, of what they do as far as withdrawing themselves from secular involvement. However. 
they do they do not practice the right to vote which again uh, that confuses me why would you not exercise that right when you can make a difference in your vote and uh, it, it's almost an act of evangelism at least taking a stance against things that are uh, secular or evil in the case of slavery uh, I, I think that it would uh, almost be counterproductive to not help people where uh, evil is going and their people are in harm's way but again that's a, an isolationist approach you're not going to get involved in other people's business to an extent you are living in this world you're not of the world um, but yeah, the, the, that's kind of where the you go your separate ways there. Yeah, and that makes sense. Um, well, uh, Mike, were you going to say something? Well, uh, I, I wanted to say I, I said this earlier that Quakers don't vote. I, I wanted to also say that there's even a split within Quakers, uh, within the Mennonite communities, that there are the more conservative traditions that don't vote and that some, you know, that, that choose to vote actually for the very reasons that Steven said. So I thought that that was well said. I, I actually had one other question. Um, and this was brought up recently. I was hearing, uh, someone was, um, for lack of a better, a better word, they were, they were bashing the founding fathers and, you know, early American history because on one hand it as Stephen said, it was formed as a Christian nation, but at the same time, it had this the scourge of slavery that was very much a part of our founding fathers. Um, and uh, someone was asking uh, a speaker a question about that, and what he said was that um, these people were Christians in uh, name only, that you had some people in the founding of America who opposed slavery and you know, were actually actually practicing their faith, whereas you had other people who were a part of the founding who claimed to be Christians but obviously weren't living out the life of what a Christian should do. Um, can we well, say that about uh, Christians in their response to politics, that if they are not living out the way that things should be, uh, that, um, that they are truly Christians? Oh goodness! Well, uh, I mean, yeah. So obviously, being given the title of Christian, uh, I mean, there's a lot of discussion that can go into the definitions and titles. But I, I think I would instinctually agree with maybe what you're hinting at that you don't, you can't keep the title Christian if you're not practicing, and that really skews right. the conversation when we're talking about. Um, how Christians participate in government, how Christians have participated in government. Stephen already um, hinted at uh, Christians typically being right-winged, and um, but how how many of those are actually practicing Christians? And I think that skews your stats, and I would love to see more about that. I don't have it in front of me, though. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's definitely an interesting question to uh, wonder about. Yeah. And I, I think that that's part of the history of Christianity, that um, whenever Christianity rises to power, it's very popular to take on the name of Christianity, especially in politics. Um, and they will use the name of Christ to advocate for whatever position they want. However, it is the actual Christians that have to stand up for what is right. 
to bring us back to Scripture, to bring us back to um, the Holy Spirit that guides us and, and how we should live our lives. Um, and it, it takes people who are strong in faith to do that. Um, and some of those names that we were talking about earlier, even though they came to different conclusions about the way the world needed to be, whether it was non-participation or total participation, you know, abolition of slavery, name, name, your, name your issue, um, I think all of them agreed in the source of power being Christ and the source of power being what unites real Christians together. So, so Michael, that, that begs the question, or sorry, my professors would be mad at me. That doesn't beg the question. Um, <laughs> right. It makes me want to ask the question um, of, is there a proper way for Christian, I mean, this is kind of the whole point of this discussion, is there a proper way for Christians to participate in government? Of course, we acknowledge that good Christians can participate in any sort of government, or they can participate in uh, in any way. Um, they can be a Republican, or they can be a Democrat, and they can still be a good Christian. But uh, I, th- um, I want to hear from y'all if there's a... Um, if y'all think there is a better way for Christians to participate participate in government, um, you don't have to pick one of these. But for instance, um, while you can say a good Christian can be a Democrat, would you hold that the ideology behind the Republican Party is more in line with what Christians should be supporting? Something along those lines. Is there a better way? Is there a right way for Christians to participate? What do y'all think? So uh, I... I- I, Stephen, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you get in here. I know, uh, I know you have some thoughts here, but I, I think it's important for someone who's conservative like I am to start off by saying that a Christian can be a communist as long as they go against. They say, you know, I believe that we should share with each other, but I also believe in private property and that it's possible to steal from someone else and that you know, communism has a history of being aligned with atheism. Okay. Um, a Christian can be a Democrat as long as they say that, um, you know, I, I believe in standing up for the oppressed, but I also believed, I also believe that one of those oppressed peoples are unborn children. Um, and uh, a, Christ, a Christian can be a Republican as long as they also acknowledge that, um, you know, capitalism without values, free markets without uh, a heart, without... Uh, you know, a heart for those who are downtrodden is not the way that God wants us to live. Now, hopefully conservatives will promote churches taking on that community role to take care of the poor. But if they think that, um, that, that we as a people should have no room for the poor, for immigrants, uh, for the elderly, then that, uh, then Christianity has no place in that type of conservatism. So I'll stop there. So I, I just want to address that what the real scenario is if you if you remove yourself from the government, then you are setting yourself up to allow the government to become secular. If the Christians are not involved in government, it has no choice but to become secular. Now, and this is also assuming that we're past the biblical times where the Israelites were living under God's government. But again, when the Israel... I think that's, that's a, that's a, that safe is a fair assumption, yeah. Stephen. <laughs> we are, in fact, past are, the biblical well, times. Right, good, Go sure. ahead, Steve. Um, I, I wake up every morning and still check for quail and manna, but okay, I guess I can sleep in a little bit. Um, all right, so 
once the government does become secular, because that's what it will do, then we will see persecution. After persecution comes, the, you have your option to either be an isolationist and just turn the other cheek and allow the world to do what it's doing and you continue to live by the word of God. And then it will then come to the point uh, that can continue or it will come to the point where the government will not allow you to be an isolationist and then force upon you to do the things that you deem as unchristian or evil. And that's basically how the American Revolution came. People that came to America that uh, were fleeing for religious persecution reasons. And so that is really where I see our country going in the fact that people that are not agreeing on how they want religion to be implemented into our government uh, is becoming very separated um, and uh, people are going to end up moving to new locations under states where they can have more people that they agree with. That's why we have red states and blue states as it is, and it's going to continue to get even more red and blue in whatever states as people try to unify that have similar similar uh, belief uh, or ideo ideological ways of living. Yeah. Go Daniel, ahead, we don't we don't have too much time left, but you haven't talked too much about what you think about this question. So I'm curious, what do you think are the important questions we should be asking? And maybe if we have time, you'll give us some answers, too. Yeah, well, um, so, I, yeah, I, I wanted to answer my own question. Uh, so very self-serving. I apologize. Uh, but uh there's one thing that um, I think is important to address in this conversation. And I, Michael, we've argued about this uh, on more than one occasion. And we'll continue um, and to that, do so. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that I, I legitimately see a, uh, a, a benefit in both the Republican um, ideology and the con or conservative ideology and progressive or liberal ideologies and how and obviously they're going about it in very different ways and so it becomes an argument of practicality uh, which one is more effective but I see good things on both sides and obviously I, I think um, maybe the the greatest focus of Christians should be um, helping those who are marginalized and those who are oppressed and that obviously leans in one of those directions but the thing I wanted to bring up is a, a third party the libertarian party um, and the classical liberal ideology. Um, and while the classical liberal ideology, um, in some regards, I think is excellent and uh, commendable, um, the thing that um, that uh, usually winds up with me arguing with people is me criticizing the Libertarian Party, because I think while there's maybe lots of good practical ideas to be found there, um, the heart of the ideology or um, the reason why most people who identify as libertarian are practicing it is this uh, overblown sense of individual freedom. And while freedom is uh, a virtue, um, if we were to create a giant list of virtues, freedom is going to be on the bottom half. It's going to, it is nowhere near the top. Um, and I, I think this uh, overdeveloped sense of freedom or longing for freedom is misplaced and uh, freedom is one of the first things that we have to give up that we let go 
um, in order to serve those higher virtues of uh, grace and love and mercy. Um, and so uh, centering an entire ideology on that seems problematic to me. And that's the thing that I, I argue with a lot of people about um, because libertarians are becoming much more popular than they were um, well, in order to address what Stephen was talking about, that great divide in ideology. And, and I think we need to uh, devote a whole other 20 minutes to that very question. But my, my one sentence response is that uh, a libertarian would say that if we give people the freedom to to love, show mercy, and show justice, then that's the first freedom is to be able to do that. So, Fair enough. I, I, I'm on the edge of my seat wanting to say so much more, but I won't. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Like uh, like Michael said, yeah, we are running out of time, so why don't um, Stephen? I'll hand it over to you in just a second, so you can be planning in your head. Um, why don't we end with uh, some closing statements? Like we're uh, in a courtroom of just the three of us, where no one is on trial, um, and say uh, just give some uh, ending thoughts on this idea or this uh, topic of Christians participating in politics, participating in government. Um, what is important about this discussion? How should how should Christians do this? If you have a, one thing you want to get out there onto the internet for everyone to hear, what would it be? So Stephen and Michael, and then of course I will take the uh, place of honor at the end. So Stephen, what's up? Well, I'm going to kind of take some words that I had actually posted to Daniel's October 4th, 2016 uh uh, religion and story blog uh, the, the third and only option libertarians um, and I had made a comment so saying that I would like an explanation on why desire for freedom and choice lines up with Christian beliefs because it seems that scripture as a whole and specifically the New Testament show that Christians are to put self behind God and fellow man and so, sure, you have the right to choose, but what does that mean that government should tolerate all choices? Uh, so I would rather argue that freedom and choice are not, uh, they're not a great characteristic if they're used in the wrong way. They do create a relationship with God, but sometimes that relationship is going to go bad if we choose not to follow. So the Libertarian Party, for example, are, they're taking freedoms to an extreme where the only rule is that there are no rules that violate freedom. So look at the commands that God gave mankind, and just, you're doing whatever you want. No, God gave us the choice to do what we want, but made it clear that some choices were wrong. So that's really how I put the, all the pieces together of um, how you make your laws in regards with God's laws, and that's what defines us as being Christians. So when I think about Christians in politics, I think that we need to start at the micro level. We need to start at the community level. Um, we need to answer Jesus's question, who is my neighbor? Um, Christians need to first and foremost be involved with their community because that's where government starts. That's where politics starts, the, your local people and the needs that they have. Um, we often think that we want to take our solutions national, when in reality, what we need to do is to be first concerned about our own communities. I'm not saying we shouldn't vote. I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved. But 
um, if we take care of those around us, we will have a lot more um, authority when it comes time to advocate in the public square for statewide or even national decisions. So that's that's where I would urge our listeners to start. Act local. Yeah, I think between the two of y'all, y'all covered the what needs to be covered. The, Stephen, that... Um, that our role as Christians is to put others' desires ahead of our own. And if we master that, then everything else should fall in place. And like Michael said, uh, practically, this best plays out on a community, on a personal level. That's where we have the greatest impact, and that's where we need to be most active. Um, So I can't really add much to that, but if uh, if I have to, um, I would say that the next step that we take is to not be indifferent about national, global politics. Um, too often I've heard people say, um, I don't like talking politics, or politics bore me, or let's let's not talk about that, um, because politics is a taboo subject. The, f- the next thing that we do, once we've mastered what y'all have said, and those are the most important things, is to realize that talking politics is not a taboo thing that we have to bring politics into our lives so that uh, we can have a Christian influence on the world. That's it for today. We'll have a brand new episode for you next week. Check out our blog at religionandstory.wordpress.com and leave us your feedback. See you next time.